We will now read today's scripture reading from Matthew 6, 25 to 34. If you'd like to follow along in our red pew Bibles, we're on page 811. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we start a little two-week series on generosity. And so I've been studying and thinking and praying about generosity. And one of the things that keeps coming out to me as I read the scriptures and reflect on my own life is that the more I appreciate God's generosity to me, the more I can be generous to others. The more I really see it and trust it, how generous God's been with me, the more it's, it's kind of easier to be generous to other people. And I had my sermon all written, and then I had something happen to me last night that just really taught me. Um, I was about to coach a basketball game. I hang out with a lot of young people of different ages. And we had a game late last night, and I was kind of tired. And we got there, and this one boy forgot his uniform. So one family went and got, found an extra uniform for me, got that. We're about to start. And then a couple boys come up to me, and one of the boys, who was really good friends with another boy, who was sitting there kind of sheepishly, said, hey, Coach Nate, what size shoes do you wear? I said, ten and a half? I'm like, why? We're about to play a game. I'm coaching. Well, AD forgot his shoes. He doesn't have shoes right now, and I think his feet are really big. And so the thing is, and he's like, do you think he, like, can he have your shoes? I'm like, okay. And then I, I kind of have this moment of remembering the whole story. So I always coach wearing the same pair of Curry 6, the town shoes. So if you're not into it, the Steph Curry has these shoes. They're Under Armors. And a few months ago, I was finishing practice, and the whole team of parents came up to me and surprised me, and they said, we really appreciate you. We bought you. We all went in, because a lot of the boys have these shoes, because they match our uniforms. They're black and yellow. And they said, we want you to have the same shoes as the boys. So here's these, like, really expensive, cool, Curry 6, Oakland the Town shoes. So I, I always wear them to coach, and I never let them touch the ground. They go in my bag. I walk in a gym. I change my old shoes into my new Curry 6s, and I kind of like a way of remembering these families who care about me, and then I coach the game. So I'm in the gym. He's like, AD needs shoes. Can you, can you have the Curry Sixes in your bag? We, we all know they're in your bag. And I, like, and I have this moment of like, AD has size 10 and a half shoes? He's in seventh grade. And I have this moment of like, yeah, I mean, because this is not generous. There's no way a grown man in front of parents can refuse to right, give a boy my shoes. Like, there's no, 
this is not a story of my great generosity at all. Like, I had no choice in the matter, right? There's parents behind me. What am I going to do? Say, no, you can't use them. So I say yes, and I have this moment of like, oh, these shoes are in perfect condition. They're now going to have a sweaty boy's feet, and they're going to stink, and they're gonna, he's going to run around in them after the game probably. But I had this moment then, like, you know, this is like a five-second quick thing in my head of, you know what? But this is easy because these parents gave me these shoes. Like, I didn't go buy them. They were just given to me out of pure generosity, like pure grace is how they were given to me. So I hold them in that grace, and then I was able to say, and kind of think through really quickly, yeah, like you can wear them, because like they're not mine. These, fa- these families pitched their money and gave them to me, so it's a lot easier to just say, yeah, you can take them and get them all, you know, scuffed up today um, and playing games with them. And I had this moment of like, oh God, this is part of what you're teaching me. Like when I can just accept things as a gift and hold them, hold them easily as a gift from you, God, it becomes a lot easier to say, sure, you can have this thing of mine that you need, even though I liked it a little bit. Um, you can have it and you can use it. Um, so we're going to reflect on generosity in Matthew 6 this morning. Would you pray with me first? God, we thank you that we're here. God, thanks that we got to be a part of a baby dedication for a wonderful little boy. Um, God, this morning, would you remind us of gratitude for your love towards us, your sacrifice for us, your care, your grace towards us. Um, God, would you spark something in our heart to be grateful to you, um, to all that you have given us. Um, God, may you challenge us, encourage us as we reflect on generosity this morning. Um, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, So I've been flipping through the Gospels, looking at generosity and thinking about money and stuff and possessions. And one thing that strikes you, if you would flip through Jesus' teachings, is he talks about money and stuff a lot. Like a lot more than other things that we reflect on, probably more than that. Jesus talks a fair amount about money, about stuff, about generosity, about unselfishness, about hoarding. He gets there fairly often. So those of us that really are wrestling with how do I follow Jesus as a disciple? How do I respond to God's grace? This is an area that we can't ignore, right? It's woven in these scriptures. How do we handle the resources that God has blessed us with? So how do we think about it, but then how do we act with the resources that we have? And I use the word resources intentionally because money is part of those resources that we have that God's given us, but we also have more than that. We have time. We have energy. We have, some of us have our own apartment that we get to utilize however we want, right? And invite whoever we want over and let whoever we want live there or our own house even, or our own car, our own clothes, right? We have things that God has given us, um, and we can use them in different ways. We have this freedom to choose how we use all these resources that God has given each one of us. And God has given each one of us resources and blessings. In this room are people in different income brackets, different neighborhoods, different places where we've come from, but we all have resources and blessings that God has given us. Um, I want to tell you an old story that taught me this idea that we can all be generous. Because when I was younger, I I knew some wealthy people and I kind of felt like they should be generous, right? Like they have tons, like I have enough, but like those really wealthy people, they should give tons of money away. Not me, like I'm just, you know, making it by. Um, And I had a moment several years ago, I opened up a little ministry center on 75th and MacArthur, uh, which is kind of deeper East Oakland. Um, if you've ever driven by Eastmont Center, it was, so if you go there and you take a turn, a lot of folks don't take 
that direction. Um, I opened up a little hole-in-the-wall place as a ministry, and we have started inviting kids and teenagers and young adults into this place, and we have different programs. Um, and it was, I could, it was wild. I could tell you stories. But one of the neighborhood fixtures was a wonderful older man, um, Joseph, who would walk around with a big stick for a cane, and he would kind of walk by that neighborhood, um, and there was a lot of, I mean, there were drug deals going on, fights going on. Joseph would walk around, he would bang on doors, anybody he knew, and he would say, whoop, there it is, which was like a hip-hop song from 1993, I looked it up, from Tag Team, and he would just say, whoop, there it is, and like, anybody would just be like, oh, there's Joseph, hey, like, how you, it was just this thing, whoop, there it is, and one day he bangs on the door, Nate, whoop, there it is, and all the kids are like, ah, oh, whoop, there it is, like, this is fun, and he says, hey, I want to start giving you money for this, for these kids and for this thing you do, because it's cool, and I'm like, Joseph, I, I, you know, like, thanks, like, I, you know, it's okay. And he's like, no, I, I want to give you money. Comes back a couple, I kind of forget about it, comes back a couple weeks later, I'm busy, bangs in the door, bang, 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 whoop, there it is. I'm like, there's Joseph with his cane, older guy, I mean, old, beat up clothes, you know, that barely fit him, you know, appear to be, he got, I don't know where, right, on the street, you know, thrift store, simple guy, but beautiful man, comes up and he goes, hey, I got $20, and I want you to use it for these kids or books, Bibles, whatever you need. Like, Joseph, like, are you sure you want to give me the $20? Yeah. Like, Joseph, and he goes, you know, I just cut some grass for somebody the other day, and they gave me $20, and I'm okay, so I just want you to use it for these kids and these people. Just to take my $20. And I had this moment of, like, this is the most meaningful $20 I've ever received in my entire life. Um, someone who I know doesn't have a lot extra. And basically said he just got 20 just from cutting somebody's grass. And I'm thinking, why are you cutting grass? You're at least in your 70s. And he gives me this $20 bill, and it just spoke to me of, of the opportunity, the possibility for all of us to be generous, for all of us to live this different kind of life of generosity towards um, other human beings. So I'm going to read again in Matthew 6, this beautiful passage that was already read. I wanted to look at it again. And we're actually going to start looking through Matthew 6 at the bottom of Matthew 6, because I want to start with talking about our heart, our heart and trust in this whole thing. Because if we can tackle the idea of our heart and trust, we can get to the practicalities of generosity after that. So Matthew 6, starting in 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass on the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What will we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Now, this passage is often used to, to talk about worry in general, and it does apply to worry in general, but the context here is really thinking about possessions, stuff, what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, are we going to have enough? 
This idea of being able to trust our Heavenly Father, that He will provide for our needs and that we don't have to worry about it to make it happen. And this reminds me of a prayer. A couple weeks ago, Mark Enomoto and I talked about a discipleship curriculum that we're using. And there's a prayer posture that we have through the Beatitudes, and it's a prayer posture of open hands. And we have this saying that, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lead us in the way of trust. And we have this prayer where we practice open hands and pray, Lead us in the way of trust. And this idea of open hands has become really sacred to me in this prayer posture because it's in line with this saying that Jesus is saying to us, to live life with our hands open, trusting that God will provide, instead of living life like this, holding on to anything we have so tightly because we're afraid we'll lose it, holding on to our standing, holding on to our privilege, holding on to our success, holding on to our money, holding on to our resources tightly, thinking that we might lose it at any moment, instead of living a life of trust with God, of saying, okay, God, This is hard, but I trust you. I trust that if you can clothe the lilies of the field, if you can take care of the birds of the air, if you can take care of the grass that is growing, and even make those things look beautiful, like incredibly beautiful. Picture picture a field of beautiful flowers in your head. Just beautiful flowers springing up naturally, like in a wild field. And I love Jesus' teaching because he teaches in the word pictures and images that that can still grab us. Picture these beautiful flowers growing, and Jesus says, if God takes care of those and they're that beautiful, he's going to take care of you. If God takes care of the birds of the air flying around, God will take care of you. But let us learn to trust. And I want to remind us that the original hearers of Jesus' message historically in the context, were peasant people. They were simple people. They were fishermen. They were farmers. They were simple laborers. When he's beginning his message in the Galilee, these were folks just making it by every day. So when Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're wearing, these were things that were actually logical for a lot of those people to worry about. They really had to get enough fish each day or like have their their farm, have their crop grow enough so that they would be okay. And Jesus says, you don't have to worry about that. Don't spend time worrying. Trust that God will provide and enter this other kind of life where we can just trust God with open hands and live like that. And I want to point out what Jesus emphasizes here is that you are worth more than flowers. You are more valuable than birds. You are more valuable than the grass. And Jesus teaches us we are of value to God. Can I get an amen? We are of value. God loves us. God cares for us. God knows us. God is with us. We are God's beloved children. He is with us. And living like that with open hands is a different posture than the world usually takes. But we are of value to God. And I start with this idea of trust But because if we can trust that God is providing for our needs, if we can trust that we have enough, then we can become generous to other people and it becomes natural. If I'm holding on tightly and I'm really not sure if my savings is enough and I'm really not sure if my car is good enough and I'm really, if I'm really just not sure, then it's really hard to be generous, right? If I really don't believe that God is with me and I'm really not sure I will have enough, then it is very logical to build bigger and bigger barns, right? And bigger and bigger storage and and just keep going and keep getting it all. That makes sense. If we trust 
it makes more sense to be natural and to be able to be generous with other people, with other things, with other organizations, with our church, with everything. Um, I, I think that Halloween is a fascinating psychological display of children and their development. Um, I wasn't allowed to trick-or-treat growing up because we thought it was bad, which is a fine, I'm not saying that's not okay to think, that's fine. Um, but I let my kids trick-or-treat and we go around and I think it's fascinating to see kids have to wrestle with how much candy is enough and how hard do you have to go to get enough candy and where is the enough. So, and as kids get older, it kind of changes of what they think they should get or need. So my oldest two kids are too old to hang out with me on Halloween. They're with friends, but my youngest is still with me and wants to go trick-or-treating with me for another year or two I might have with her. And so we're trick-or-treating, and she is like, she's on it. I mean, she wants every candy she can get, and she's hitting every house, and she's just like getting all the candy. And then we're going to, we're at this neighborhood that's like really great for trick-or-treating, and our, our neighborhood's down here, and my wife was going to drive, and Ava goes, Dad, can we walk another couple blocks? And there's only a house that gives away candy, like every 10 houses. So you can kind of see every like 10 houses, there's a light on, there's She's like, Dad, let's hit every house and let's walk back and let Mom drive. And I'm like, I am done, right? I'm tired. I want to go home. I'm over this. She's like, Dad, come on. Let's just hit them all. I'm like, okay, babe. So I get, so we hit a house. We run across the street, hit a house, run across the street, run in front of a group of kids and hit, hit a, and we just go all the way. And I'm like, I can't believe this is my, this is just horrible. And I'm like, this is just awful. And we get to the house. My daughter dumps her candy out. And it's a massive pile, right? And it's just, there's no other older siblings there to take it or trade with. And she just looks at it. And I kind of see like the wheels, you know, turning. She's looking at it. And she finally like calms down. She's like, hey, dad, do you want some Butterfinger and Reese's? I know that's your favorite. <laughs> and she kind of had this moment of like, I think I have enough. You know, like in her little brain, right, developmentally, I've got enough. She hit this point of like, oh, I have enough. And then it kind of naturally came out. Like, oh, dad, do you want the butter? I know it's your favorite, Butterfinger and Reese's. And I think sometimes we're like that. If we can trust, oh, I have enough. I'm okay. God has provided for my needs. We can enter a different space in trust and confidence with God of saying, okay, now when I see someone in need, now when I see something going on that needs resources, I can just share out of gener- not out of shame or guilt, but out of generosity and out of, out of love. Let's look at the passage before this, verse 19 and following. Jesus also said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, it starts with the heart. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now listen to this really cutting, intense next teaching. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now, this teaching, I find it fascinating and beautiful and compelling to to wrestle with it, to reflect on what it means for our lives. But I also want to point out that this way that Jesus just taught here is different than a lot of our American culture. Are you with me on that? This is different than the American dream. This is different than the society that I grew up in and that a lot of us live in, a society of more, a society of more and bigger and better and bigger and better. And that's the way of life of that. 
remember when I got married, my wife worked for a financial company and she had an office and I was like a 23-year-old youth pastor and I got invited to this party and there's all these like 50-year-old successful businessmen at this party and I'm, I don't know how to drink wine or do anything or like, and I'm here. And I remember this, this older guy said, Nate, how, you know, how you doing? And so I heard you're going to buy a house. I'm like, yeah, I think we're going to buy this house in Concord and it's kind of scary. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. You, you know, you'll figure it out. Here's, so here, here, here's what you do, son. He goes, you buy that house, it's stressful, you make a little more money and then it's not stressful anymore, you got enough, and then you buy the next house five years later. And it's stressful and it stretches you until you get to it and then that house is, and then you need a bigger house. So five years later you buy a bigger house and then you get a little better job and she gets a better job and you get more money and then five years later you buy a bigger house. And that's just how you do life, son. Like that's just the way, you know, and you just keep stretching yourself and you keep getting more and going up the ladder. And I remember thinking, like that sounds like a horrible way to live. I don't want to be stressed out my whole life of stretching my, that just sounds awful. I don't want to live like that. It doesn't make sense to me. Jesus talks about a different way. But if we're going to follow these teachings, we're going to live a little differently than mainstream society around us. And maybe even differently than our family and than our friends. It's not upward mobility. It's simplicity. It's trust. It's thinking that we actually have enough for our needs and that's enough. There's nothing wrong with a nice house. Jesus doesn't say there's anything wrong with wealth or anything wrong with a nice house. But he says, what are you actually driving for in your life? Where is your actual treasure? Is your life energy going to build more and more treasure on earth for yourself? Or is your life energy, your goal, your purpose going towards treasure in heaven? Going towards things that matter for eternity? things that have purpose for eternity. Where is your treasure going? And we might not have a literal treasure where we dig up and throw it in the ground, but we have treasures, things that we fight for, right? Things that we care so much about, things that we would protect, things that we plan at night, right, in our head. How can I get this? How can I get that? How can I build this? And Jesus says this this compelling thing. You can't serve God and money. You got to choose one and serve that. He doesn't say money's evil. He says you got to choose one that you will serve. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to ask you just to reflect even on your own in this moment about where is your treasure? Because I don't know where it is. You know where it is and God knows where it is, but where is your treasure? What are you passionate about? What what will you fight for to protect? What is your treasure? Now we're going to finish off by looking at the first section, Matthew 6, 1 through 4 in Matthew. This gets to the practicality of generosity. What does this look like? Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they already have their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who, give, who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I find it fascinating as Jesus jumps into talking about generosity at the beginning of chapter 6, he doesn't start off with telling them, hey, you need to be generous, it's really important. 
And part of that is because in that context of Hebrew people, they clearly knew generosity was important. It was clearly in the Torah. It was clearly what they would talk about with their rabbis when they would get together in the synagogue. They knew that generosity was a part of this life with God. I mean, it is woven into these teachings, these ancient teachings in our Old Testament of how you share, how you give, let debts go away, how you let people come glean from the edges of your fields. It was woven into how they, what they knew was right. So they, they knew that generosity was a part of life. If you were an observant Jew, you knew you gave money away. You knew you gave to those in need. You knew you gave away to God. So Jesus starts off with, okay, so when you do that, because you're doing that, here's how to do it. You don't do it in the middle of the street with the trumpet. That's not the best way. You've already got your reward if you do it that way. Your reward's done. But do it in secret, and God will reward you. I have a couple pictures um, partly for some laughs of modern society and, and giving away um, to people in need. That's a selfie stick, in case you're wondering what that stick is. It's a selfie stick um, giving away. And then, the, and then the next picture, um, a little pose. He's got a little, I think they cut off the phone on the top of the screen there. A little, little pose as giving money away. Um, this is like comedy, but this also is a part of life on Instagram and Facebook to a certain extent. Maybe not this blatant but it's there. Um, and there is this difficult thing of how do I be generous and not do it so that others can see it? How do I do it with a pure heart, out of pure love, out of pure generosity, not for notoriety or standing or status, um, but just because I believe in God's generosity and God's love so I can trust and I can give away. And this is one of those topics that I find fascinating because Jesus taught this around 2,000 years ago. So their culture was so different and yet, so much of the same things, right? They, they would, he says, don't go in the street with a trumpet. Well, today we just take selfies and it's different. But it's the same deep issues to wrestle with, right? The same deep issues of trust. The same deep issues of if I do something good and generous, do I care that my friends and neighbors and family knows it? Or can I do it just because it's the right thing to do? Um, I want to tell you a, a story and I almost didn't tell it because I'm like, is this, is this like disobeying the scriptures or bragging about myself? But it's not me. It's about my mom, really. So I, I'm going to get a pass because it's my mom. And she won't ever know that I, that I said it. Um, but when my mom, uh, when I was younger, when I was a boy, my mom was a teacher. She taught in a public school on kind of the north side of a town called Santa Maria and on the 101 freeway. And my mom taught. And she had a number of kids in her classes who really didn't have enough, who had, um, really didn't have enough clothes sometimes, food, like certain things. Um, and she would notice that, and so she started a tradition for our family for around Christmas, where she said, uh, we got like a whole family meeting, my brother and our parents, and they said, so there's these kids that I know at school who don't really have enough of certain things, including like winter jackets, like they just don't have a coat in the winter, they, they don't own one, and I'll ask them, where's you, and they're like, I don't have one, um, and she's like, it really is, I believe these families are pretty poor, and he, does, he doesn't have a coat, so she said, here's what we're going to do, I'm going to find their address at the school admin somehow, and we're going to uh, buy a couple of simple presents and jackets, and we're going to wrap them as a family, and then we would drive up to the house, and we'd stop in front of the house, or maybe like on the side, and my brother and I had the really fun job of running to the doorbell and dropping the presents, hitting the doorbell, and sprinting to the car, and then driving off really fast. And for my brother and I, it was the funnest thing ever. Because we didn't ever do like crazy mischievous things. Like we kind of had a tight leash on my brother and I. 
So to like get to doorbell ditch and run was the f- so fun. Um, and I remember thinking it was fun. Like this is awesome. And then I remember being a kid and, uh, and my mom saying, hey, like Nathan and Noah, come here. Remember when we did that like the other day? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Well, this, these couple boys in my class, they just came and they're wearing these coats and they, they have coats in there and they're warm now and they have no idea where it came from. So they're just like showing up to school in these coats and I get to see them wearing the coat and I get to like have this moment of like they have a coat now and they have no idea it was us. And I remember being like a little boy and like something about generosity sunk into me. Something about the beauty of that. They don't know. They have no idea where it came from but they needed it and we had enough money in our bank account to get them those things and now they have them and they don't know where it came from. And I remember just being a boy like my head was going to explode. Like this is beautiful and cool. Like something in how God works and how the world should work like sunk into my youthful brain. And I remember like that was one of my most beautiful favorite childhood memories is those moments of running to a door and, and having a secret that we, that we kept as a family and they had no idea where they came from. Um, so this morning, I want to leave us with, with an experiment or a challenge. Um, you know, we, we probably have heard these teachings about generosity before, and it's something we have to keep wrestling with and praying with, about, right? In different parts of life, people we know, to pray and to trust, say, God, where, where are these places you're leading me to be generous? Where are the organizations or the people or the missionaries or the churches or the, the homeless people in my neighborhood that, that I should be generous with? But I want to lay out a challenge. Some, some of you are in home groups. Um, some of you are in family. Some of you have good friends you do life with. Um, but I want to lay out a challenge, an idea to you this week to consider with a couple friends, how could you lean into generosity, trust God, and say, what's something we could do in secret this week? What's a fun adventure that we could take to bless someone with our abundance and to help them to bless them in a way that they don't even know? And how could that be a fun, joyous thing with a couple of friends in community um, to step into this idea of trust, of generosity with God? So I leave you with that. And I kind of hope and pray that some of you would consider that and have a friend or a home group and experiment, like have a brainstorm session and experiment. What would that look like even this week to jump into that? I'm going to say a prayer for us, then we'll move into a time of worship. Father, God, first of all, we are grateful for your love. God, we are grateful for your care, for your grace, for your mercy. And God, as, even as we prepare soon to take communion, God, we pause to be grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus. We pause to be grateful for the great love you have lavished on us. God, would you help us to be grateful people? And God, would you give us a sense of faith, of trust in you, that you are providing for us, that you are with us, God. And for so many of us that really do have enough in this room, God, would you let it sink in that we do have enough? For many of us in this room, you have provided for our needs. We have food and we have shelter and we have clothing on our backs. So God, would you give us a sense of gratitude and a sense of trust and an attitude of generosity as we move forward? In Jesus' name, amen.